Hey guys, it's Heidi. Can you believe it's been an entire year since we've started recording Wine Crush? We've heard so many amazing stories of the different Oregon winemakers. We would love for you to be part of our journey and leave us a review on iTunes. So not only do we know how we're doing, but so others can find us a little easier. Now onto the show. Stay tuned for Wine Crush, Northwest Wine Stories Uncorked. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through two stories of local winemakers. The first comes from a winery that was formerly a poultry farm, but is dedicated to producing world-class wines through sustainable methods. And the second centers on a single mother and self-taught entrepreneur whose winemaking is influenced by the magical dynamic between food, wine, and friends. We are talking with Sean Allen from Pudding River Wine Cellars today. Welcome to the show, and thanks for braving I-5 in Wilsonville to come up here and meet us. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you took my invitation and came up and um, hung out with us today. So when we're looking at your story and starting, um, you started in Alaska, and somehow you ended here. So yeah. why? Yeah, I grew up in Alaska and um, enjoyed the outdoors up there. It was, um, you know, a lot of fun. You know, in the wintertime, I was a skier and... Um, but I, so I wanted to get out of Alaska for college, and so I ended up coming to the Northwest, and I went to Walla Walla at Whitman College. It's kind of where I got started in college, and um, and that's kind of where I got the bug for wine, too. I mean, at the time, there were like several dozen wineries in, in that area in Walla Walla, and um, it was my first visit to a winery. Like, I'd never been to a winery before, and it was fascinating. I was like, I didn't know that you could have a job, like, you know, being a winemaker, but I was on track to be an engineer, so... I uh, finished up school at Duke University, um, my engineering degree, and I returned to the area in the Tri-Cities is where I started um, my first career. And then, it, once again, I was like in the middle of wine country, and uh, it was a hobby of mine to just go out almost every weekend to the hundreds of wineries in the Yakima Valley and, and Walla Walla and the Columbia Valley. It's definitely so. kind of turned into a mecca up there. I was really surprised when I was up there a year or two ago how many wineries there were. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool that you started there, left, and then came back to that. Yeah. And Walla Walla had like six or seven wineries when I was there, and now they've got 130 or something. Yeah, it's just grown like exponentially up there. And it was a hobby of mine. I think every weekend we almost went out and wine tasted and stuff. So It's not a terrible hobby at all. No. It's a little bit expensive on occasion, but yeah. it's a great hobby. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy because a lot of our winemakers that we've had on the show started as engineers. So yeah. why why the conversion? It was, um, I think I had a revelation at, at a winery um, nearby where I was in Tri-Cities. I saw this degree on the wall, you know, University of California, Berkeley, uh, Master's in Enology and Viticulture. And I talked to the owner and I was like, it's a lot of chemistry. And I had a ton of chemistry. I thought I was going to be a petroleum engineer and go back to Alaska. But I didn't do that. I ended up being a mechanical engineer and I worked in the Tri-Cities at the Hanford nuclear site trying to clean the place up for, I think it was there, seven years. But it was like, wow, you can get a degree in winemaking, like enology and viticulture. And um, I felt like I'd missed my calling. You know, I was like, darn, I missed that one. <laughs> but 
I still had the background for it. Being sure. an engineer, I had the science and the chemistry. And um, so it was kind of a natural fit when I eventually was able to pursue my passion, you know, to go back to school and do that. I did viticulture for a year and I did um, winemaking courses at the Chemeketa program, the Northwest Wine Studies program in so at some point, you, yeah. So at some point you ended up in the valley. So you came, yeah. you know, Alaska, Duke, Yakima Valley, Walla Walla Valley. Yeah. And now you're in Oregon going to Shemakata. So Migrated um, south. Well, you know, it happens. <laughs> the birds do it. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So I didn't realize there were so many wineries. And I we talked about this, and I think I say it all the time. I have no idea how many are in the Cascade Foothills area. And you have a beautiful location out there. Yeah, Tucked thanks. away. Yeah, it is. There's at least probably 17 or 18 wineries in our area over there. It's kind of on the, you know, foothills of the Cascades, Silverton, Malala, down to Almsville. And uh, we chose that spot primarily because my parents-in-law had farm property there. And um, they'd moved there about 20 years ago now to retire. And um, so... Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the property because it is really unique and it's really beautiful where it's at. And unless you know where it's at, you're not going to just drive by it. So let's just take a break really quick and we'll come right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about the property and how beautiful of a location it is, but the original purpose was not wine. So what was the original life of that farm? Yeah, many years ago, it was a poultry farm. Um, There were two 200-foot-long pole barns on that property that were used as a um, poultry facility. I think it was in the 50s. It was a long time ago. So mostly chickens, I'm assuming. Yeah, right. So naturally fertilized, not only yes. because of the valley floor, but also the prehabitants. Good soil. Very yes. good soil. <laughs> yeah. So when did it switch over to vines? Is it when your in-laws moved in and purchased the property then? No, they were searching for a few years about what they would plant the property. And I had an interest in grapes and viticulture. And so they said, okay, that sounds good. And But we ended up buying the property 15 years ago when we moved there and planted the vines. So the vines are 15 years old now. And it was a great property. Actually, it was interesting that property had been looked at by the previous owners as being a vineyard. So they had the people that we consulted with had already seen that property before and had looked at it for a vineyard. But uh, but we made it happen. So nice. So how many? You said fifteen acres. So what all do you have planted on there as far as grape varietals? We have just Pinot Noir. So we designed it in three different vineyard blocks to be a very Burgundy-style Pinot Noir, and that was our passion back then, you know, 15 years ago. And we knew that it would grow well. In the area, there weren't a lot of grapes established on that side of the valley where we are. So we knew that Pinot Noir was going to do well, you know, because that's, that's our grape in the valley here. And uh, so that's what we planted. Yeah. So now that we've kind of drifted into wine, so mm-hmm. you're not just making Pinot, though. No. You have a whole rainbow of things to choose from at yeah. the, the tasting room. It was it was fantastic because we started with very white, very dry, sweet, pink, and a number of reds that you're yeah. making. Yeah, we're fortunate that on our side of the valley, there's a lot of grapes grown. And uh, so I have access to a lot of different vineyards that I source fruit from. Um, we make a lot of brilliant white wines, you know, from Riesling, and I've made a Gewürztraminer in the past, and um, we make Rosé of Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, um, lots of really great fruit on our side of the valley. And um, and because of my connection to Walla Walla, I also went ahead and sourced some of my favorite varietals from Walla Walla, so we make a Malbec and a Syrah and a Viognier from that, from those vineyards back there, so... 
Are yeah, you using a certain s- style? Are you doing more a Burgundian style, or is there something? I mean, what is what you're doing? Yeah, it's. I would say they're pretty French style wines. They're dry. Um, the white wines are. They're usually pretty fresh. They're bright and citrusy. They're very aromatic, and which aromatic, I really like. Yeah, yes. and I think that's the handmade process that we're doing. We we don't do a lot of processing of you know like you would in a bigger winery. Um, everything's very well hand done and taken very well, good care of. So it seems to preserve that freshness to the wines. Yeah. So you hate to ask a parent who their favorite child is, but oh, what is hard. what is your favorite? Uh, I am. I'm passionate about Chardonnay. I love Chardonnay. And it gets a bad rap here and there, but we make three different styles of it. We make a stainless steel fermented version, which is just can't keep enough of it. And um, But we do traditional barrel fermented Chardonnay. I do a reserve Chardonnay. Um, I also lately have been onto rosé. So I made two years. This is the third year of rosé that we're making, and it is fantastic. So I'm really enjoying our rosé from Pinot Noir. It is fantastic. I tried it when we were there, and I think I even took a bottle home, which was even, which was even better. So I yeah. love it when I get that perk. Yeah. So what do we have to look forward in the future as far as new wines that you're going to try? Um, I'm making a Tempranillo this year, which is the first wine. And it's going to be for wine club only. I think I'm only doing like 50 cases. Um, but it's fun, and it's actually from the valley. It's a grape that typically needs a warmer climate. But we've had some really great years, and especially last year, we brought in some Tempranillo from a, a site and Almsville, and so we're making that as a new wine. I've never done that one before, so that'll be kind of fun to have. Um, like I said, well, rosé is a newer wine for me, and we're going to continue to make that because we just can't seem to make enough of it. So, Are you doing and, something uh, <clears throat> different? Because there's a lot of rosé in the valley right now. Yeah, I'm not – I mean, I may make a sparkling wine. I don't know if I'll do it this year or not. I haven't decided, but I do make sparkling for some other producers that I make wine for. Um, we make a sparkling Albarino. We make a sparkling Moscato wine out of a Muscat grape. And uh, people want me to make a sparkling rosé. So I have enough this year I could probably do that with. So Perfect. I'm thinking about it right now. That yeah. sounds great. So yeah. we're going to stop right there mm-hmm. and talk some more wine. Great. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. We left talking about wine and we're going to talk about a little bit more wine, but you have a lot of events and a lot of fun stuff coming up in the tasting room. Um, I think you mentioned some new membership benefits and a new club coming on. So I'm going to give the floor back to you and you're going to go for it. Yeah, last year we completely revamped our wine club. And so um, we're adding a lot more like quarterly events. And I'm really passionate about live music performances. So I've been kind of seeking out some really eclectic little interesting groups around to have play at our property. Um, so we'll be doing those uh, quarterly. Um, we also have our the Memorial Day open house weekend, which is open to the public. And that's our one of our next events on the winery site. But we also have the Taste, Learn, and Celebrate event, which is a... It's an annual event that we do in Mount Angel Fest Hall where we have all of the Cascade Foothills group, which is about 15 or 16 wineries now. We all are in one place. We bring just a sampling of our wines so a person can go to that one place and get a sampling of all of our all of the producers on that side of the valley. It's really interesting. It is really interesting because 
Cascade Foothills is a group, but it's not technically an AVA at this point in time, but they kind of act like it a little bit. That's right. Right? It's, yeah. And it's pretty widespread. <clears throat> I was really surprised because it goes all the way down south, yeah, past, it, past Salem. Right. It, it may or may not be an AVA one day, but one thing that's characteristic of that side of the valley is it's a bit cooler. And I think it makes brilliant white wines and some very interesting Pinot Noirs. So it's something for people to definitely come and see the difference in the rest of the valley. Yeah. And you said that was May 4th, Mount Angel. Yep, the at, Fest Hall. At the Fest Hall, yeah. which is a cool building anyways. Yeah, it is. It's fun. Yes. It's huge. It's yeah. yeah. Let's fill it. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, no kidding. So what else do you got on the slate? Um, um we're doing spring bottling coming up here in the next few weeks. Uh, I'll be releasing a new rosé um for uh, Memorial Day weekend. I think that's about it. So is that the 28 vintage or is that a it's second 18, 18 vintage? Yeah, vintage? the 18 vintage is coming out. So we'll have a couple of new wines coming out for the Memorial Day weekend open house. So how many people do you usually see through Memorial Day weekend come through the tasting room? Uh, about two to 300 people. And per so, day or weekend? For the weekend. It's still yeah. quite a few. It's not a big tasting room. Yeah, it's not big. And one of the, I did want to mention that we do have a gallery in our... So I... Last year, I put in a kind of an art gallery for people to kind of an extra space for people on those big weekends to walk around and enjoy art. And so um, we're we are also opening a new event in that gallery on Memorial Day weekend as well. So it's definitely something to come out and see. That's exciting. It gives um, yeah, just as an extra activity to kind of keep everybody occupied. Yeah. So if we were looking for your tasting room, it's tucked in the hills. So yeah. how do we get there? <laughs> Google it. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> No, other than that, we're pretty. It's actually we're just seven miles directly east of Salem. So if you take uh, one of like the Kaiser exit and come out to the east, uh, you'll find us out um, on Sunnyview Road, and, and it eventually gets out to the Cascade Highway, which is a beautiful drive up and down the east side. Close of the to Silverton, and yeah, very close as, to Silverton. Um, what is it? The Oregon Gardens are out there. Yep, Silver Falls State Park is back there. Yeah, so it could be a so, full day yeah, of adventure. Some great things to do out in our area. We have a lot of tourism in the summertime. So what are the normal hours for the tasting room? Yeah, we're open Fridays through Sunday, 11 to 5, pretty much year-round, except for January. We're closed in January. But, yeah, so Perfect. come out and see us. Perfect. Also, yeah, please yeah, follow Yeah, where do us. we find you? Yeah, that, that's us, uh, huge. Yeah. <laughs> Got to find you somewhere. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Pudding River. Please follow us and, um, and our website, www.puddingriver.com. Um, we have uh, we post our events there, and all of the wines are there, and you can purchase wine online as well. But yeah, please come out to the tasting room. We sell most of our wine through our tasting room. So. Yeah, I highly encourage people to seek you guys out. Make a day of it because there's a lot of great wineries out there, a lot of adventure to be had out there, and you are kind of a hidden secret. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> So it was hidden to me, and I spent a lot of time driving. So um, it was really a pleasant surprise when I pulled into the driveway, and um, you had the barking dogs across the street, and the <laughs> geese in the field, and yeah. yeah, it was it was a great place. Thank you. Yes, and thanks, Sean, for coming. Really appreciated you joining us. That was my pleasure. Yep, and we'll drink wine again soon. Okay. And after the break, we'll meet Christina Gonzalez from Gonzalez Wine Company coming up in just a moment. <laughs> Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Let's meet our next guest today, Christina from Gonzalez Wine Company. Welcome, Christina. 
I know you're Hi. so excited to be here. You're I just am. jittery in your seat. I am. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm my first podcast. What? <laughs> so happy to be that for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you so, so much for having me. Yeah. So you have got quite the story. You yes. have like lived my dream of traveling and experiencing new things. And so I want to hear about it again. Yes. Well, I have. You're right. I have been very lucky to lead um, a very great life. So if I died tomorrow, it would be fine. I, I lived a good life. Um but yes, I started, um, my passion for wine started um, on a backpacking trip in South America. And I had graduated from college from Humboldt State, didn't want to get a job right away. So I moved to South America, got a job volunteering, and I would have to go to Argentina in Mendoza to renew my tourist visa. And that's how it all started was we went wine tasting and it was a big fat glass of Malbec and a wonderful grass-fed beef steak. That sounds horrible. I, I, sh- I should totally <laughs> change my travel plans and plans on going down there. Not. No, it was. And that was kind of like the moment where like, it was art in the mouth of that wine and the food and the combination of both where I was just like, this is the most amazing thing ever. So that's really what started the passion for wine. And then I moved back to the country, um, to the United States, and I still didn't know what exactly I was going to do. I, I worked for a nonprofit, and there was no money in nonprofits. So I actually I moved back to Humboldt County, which I didn't tell you about because I forgot, i.e. mom brain. Oh. Um, <laughs> it happens because you're a single mom too, which kind of adds to the story as well. Yes, um, but... So I moved back to Humboldt County. I was started tasting a lot of wine up there, um, Humboldt County wine. I talked to a winemaker and was telling him how interested I was in wine and production. And he said, come on out. I am going to be pressing off my cab. So I went up to his winery, which was actually an old barn up on Fickle Hill. It's rainy, foggy, cold. Sounds like um, Oregon. Yes, and very much like it is in a winery. And that's where the aha moment actually really happened, was up on that foggy hill, um, pressing off cab. That aha moment is so interesting because it is so different for every person. Um, Sean's aha moment was in Walla Walla, and yours was pressing Cabernet in a foggy, rainy barn. Yes. Yes. So, But you had more travels than just that. Yes, I, um, well, once I got into wine, then I started harvest hopping. So then I went to Australia for a harvest, and then I went to Tasmania um, for a harvest, which were both really great experiences, um, two very different places to make wine, but both also cool climate um, areas, great for Pinot, great for sparkling. But yeah, they were two completely different areas, but both really, it was all very much you had to learn on the go. So all of my winemaking experiences and where I learned all my winemaking was hands-on. I I wasn't trained in any of this. It's all been just me having very patient mentors and winemakers who have pretty much taught me everything that I know up until now. Well, I know you had told me a story about your first, I think, real winemaking experience and how you got the job because it wasn't totally (laughs) truthful. We're going to elaborate a little bit more on your story when we come back. 
You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at PRP.fm. We had alluded about how you actually got into the wine business and how it wasn't fully the truth on how you got that first job. No, no, um, it wasn't at all. It was um, a nice little white lie. Um, And it turned out well. I mean, it did. It really did. It got me to where I am now, driving a forklift like a badass. I started out in a tasting room, and then I had worked my way into production. And then I was looking for a real job in a cellar. And it was a friend of mine who was looking for a seller hand. And, you know, one of the things they will ask you when you're interviewing for a seller hand is if you can drive a forklift. And I said, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I totally can. Um, so my first day on the job, and this is at a winery that they had never had any women that had ever worked in the cellar before. I was the first um, woman to work in that cellar. And uh, my first day... He asked me to move some macro bins in the winery, and I got on the forklift and had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I uh, picked up the forks and drove in and, um, you know, pressed the wrong lever, and he goes, you don't know how to drive a forklift, do you? And I said, no, I don't. And from there on was winery boot camp 101 for the whole harvest. And they kind of beat you up. They put you through the paces. Oh, man. I got beat up. There was lots of tears, lots of tears, lots of bruises. But you persevered and look at you now. That's right. But I, I made it and here I am today. And then that led me, um, you know, to my harvest hopping actually up to here in Oregon where I live and where my family is, where I sell wine. And I interned at a number of different wineries, and I landed at A to Z Wineworks for about five years, wore a lot of hats there, and gained a lot of experience there, and many different aspects of wine production, lab analysis, warehouse, shipping and receiving, bottling line. So it was a bit of everything. Yeah. There's a lot of hats to wear at A to Z. There were a lot of hats yes. to wear at A to C, but I'm very grateful to have worked there and they're really good people. So did that help lend to your style and your winemaking and what you're doing now? It definitely helped as to they are a winery to be looked up to. The women that work in that winery that have high positions in that company, it's a very admirable and um I'm grateful to know them and and call them friends. But yes, it it did lead me to where I am now as part of my brand, empowering women. And also, you know, as part of my brand, it's to provide a wine that is not just a two-buck chuck, but that is affordable and is a good quality wine that anybody can walk into a store, a restaurant, and buy this. And it's delicious because we are drinking a Petit Verdot, which we have not tasted and sampled on the show. And it's so good. It's very fruit forward, which is my style that I really enjoy. So are the rest of your wines similar to this style then? Or what is your style? Um, My style is a very, it's a minimalist, hands-off winemaking style where I pretty much just, I showcase the fruit and um, where it's from. 
I really am a firm believer in if you grow a good grape, um, it can make a good wine. It's very hard to make good wine from grapes that are not taken care of properly. Um, so I tend to source my fruit from sustainable to low-impact viticulture and transition to organic vineyards, both um, well in California and hopefully here in Oregon and or Washington. Perfect. So right now, most of your food is coming from California then, and mm -hmm. you're looking to move into Oregon and Washington at some point in time. And it's all expense-related, I'm assuming. Yes. And, and availability. Definitely. I am definitely what you would call a bootstrap um, slash shoestring uh, winemaker winery. Perfect. I want to talk a little bit more about your wines and really talk about what you're doing because you're doing some different varietals. Your labels are really cool. Um, and so we'll be back in just a moment and talk a little bit more. Okay. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about wine, which is what happens all the time. <laughs> so I'm going to let you pick back up um, to talk about the wines you are doing. We talked about the Petit Verdot, but you're doing a lot more than that. Yeah. So because of where the whole passion for wine started in Argentina, I do make a Malbec. I also make a Syrah and a Syrah Grenache, the Petit Verdot, which we're trying right now. In the past, I have done Viognier. Um, but yes, I do stick mostly to the reds and a, a bigger style. So Malbec is usually my homage to where um, this passion started and where I can find it. You know, like I said, I, I am a uh, bootstrap winemaker, so a lot of my winemaking is budget dependent. And of course, how the vineyard is um, farmed. But yeah, so uh, I like bigger style wines, and so I make wines that I want to drink. But they are also made in a style which is made to be had with food, yet to also be enjoyed alone. So I like to keep the acid there, and I also use all neutral oak. So there's no really oak influence, so they're just old barrels, so they're, they're holding vessels to, to showcase the fruit. And yeah, so the Petit Verdot, actually, that we're drinking, the Revolutionary, is my second label, and that's for my son. This is his birth wine, um, and a homage to where he was born in Chiapas, uh, Mexico. So all of the um, proceeds from this wine go to his college fund. And I actually just released a Syrah Grenache, my 2016 Syrah Grenache, which 5% of the proceeds are going to go to Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. And what is that? So You've, you guys have mentioned it a few times since we've been in here. So now I want to hear what it is. So they're an organization that creates programs that empower girls to live out their dreams. It gives them the tools that they need to be leaders for our future. So I was able to go to a luncheon to hear some of their stories. And some of them are refugees. As a Mexican-American myself, it was just, I really identified with that. I also believe in, in giving back. So yes, part of the profits will go to their organization. So they are able to keep empowering these little girls to be the leaders of our future. 
That's fantastic. So that is the, what wine is that again? So that's the 2016 Syrah Grenache that was actually just released last Thursday. And that is under my original label, which is the Gonzalez Wine Company label with the G-Ball. And I get <laughs> asked a lot about... Which is a cool label. <laughs> it is a cool label. Yeah, I, well, that, well, the story behind that is the Magic 8-Ball. Because I used to play with that a lot when I was a kid because um, I was completely indecisive. And so it made a lot of decisions that way. And so when I was thinking about... (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) When I was thinking about a label, um, you know, eight is my lucky number. I was born October 8th. And so it was like... It was a natural fit. Yep. You know, the typewriter G looks like the H on the eight ball. Very true. So yeah, very true. that's where it came from. That's awesome. So I know you have some uh, events coming up as well. Yes, I do have a couple of events coming up. My first ever winemaker dinner, which I am like ridiculously excited about. That's going to happen um, April 15th at Taste on 23rd. So please register and come. I'd love to see some friendly faces. I'm also coordinating a Mother's Day wine tour with Purposeful Nomad, which is also a woman-owned and run um, travel agency. So if you're looking for something for your mom for Mother's Day. Um, it's a good gift. Yes. Nice. Yes. Please do come. So where else do we find your wine? Are we buying it at a store? Are we ordering it online? Both? So you can find it online under gonzaleswinecompany.com, and that's Gonzales with an S at the end. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Gonzales Wine Company and on Facebook. I also have um, wine here in Portland at the Wine Cellar, which is in Northwest Portland, Taste on 23rd, Barber World Foods are some of my accounts, um, Prosperity Pie Shop in Multnomah Village. And you can also find my wines down in California, too, if you're down there visiting. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Christina, and telling us all about Gonzalez Wine Company and your colorful, travelful stories. And we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for the sixth episode of Wine Crush Season 2. Have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass. We're not going to be right back.